Everyone's talking about crime and policing. Supervisor Catherine Stephanie says the city is facing a dilemma. You can't just say we're going to have a police force just for the priority A calls. We need it for everything. That being said, we have determined we don't want to ask our police department to do everything, right? Stephanie represents a part of the city not known for violent crime. District 2 contains the Marina, Pacific Heights, Cathedral Hill, Laurel Village, and Nopa neighborhoods. But we happened to be interviewing her right after a violent assault in the marina made headlines. So we talked about the challenges with hiring cops, what we expect police officers to do, and what public safety really means. Stephanie is running for state office at the moment, but she's not allowed to talk about that campaign while on the clock for her supervisor job. We stuck to local governance and her input on local issues. I'm Laura Wenis. And I'm Cynthia Lopez. From the San Francisco Chronicle, this is SF Next, Fixing Our City. Laura thought the soup Catherine Stephanie selected was another one I had never tried before. To be fair, I think that's a reasonable assumption. So I love minestrone soup. It's just a basic Italian soup. Yeah. And obviously I'm Italian, so I don't want to get too much into my soup choice other than this is what I like to eat. Yeah. I was (laughs) going to ask, is there like a memory that you have of minestrone like growing up or anything like that? Just growing up, it's just something in, you know, Food is a big thing in Italian families. Minestrone soup's always been there on the table. It's mm-hmm. just kind of a staple in my life, like ravioli for Christmas and mm. Thanksgiving. We always, there's just a few things that are always seemingly in the diet of every Italian, and this is one of them. Well, this is delicious. Thank you for right. suggesting it. We have started opening up with asking supervisors how they would rate the state of the city right now. So, You could either rate the state of San Francisco city government, you could rate the state of the people as a whole, or you could do both. Yeah, you're asking me that question at the end of a very tough week for me. Right, yes. A few days before we recorded this interview, news broke that someone had viciously beaten a resident of Stephanie's district with a metal pipe. The alleged perpetrator was arrested. We didn't know any of this at the time, but in the days after the arrest, evidence surfaced that suggested the suspect may have been responding to the victim having used bear spray on local homeless people. The victim denied this, but then the victim didn't give testimony, which would have been crucial to the prosecution. The suspect was ultimately released. So, I mean, there are a lot of good parts to the city. It would be hard to just give it an, you know, an overall rating when you have like an incredible airport, credible parks. But right now I feel like we're on the C minus range with regard to public safety, which I think is an absolute basic is kind of the foundation for everything. And when your foundation is shaky, I think it throws a lot of other things off. So I would say... Not to start off negative, but I think how I'm feeling in this moment after having a brutal attack in my neighborhood two days ago, I would say at a C minus. But I have a lot of hope that that's going to go up. Yeah. Yeah, we put out a call for listener questions and we didn't get a whole lot, but someone did ask us, and this is somewhat open to interpretation, I would say, why has law enforcement ended in San Francisco Yeah, well, I wouldn't say that it ended. You know, we do have a police force that is in dire need of more officers. We are approximately 600 officers short. Chief Scott says that all the time, and it's not a number that he's made up. It's a number based on a formula we've all agreed to, including the voters with Proposition E, 
um, the Board of Supervisors, and it's basically determined, it's data that determines how many calls are coming into 911. You know, those calls are rated based on, you know, priority A, B, C. If, if someone's life is in immediate danger, you know, A call. If someone's place has been burglarized, there's no one there anymore, C call, whatever. But based on how many calls are going to 911 and the time in which we're able to answer those calls, it basically states we're about 600 officers short. What do we do about that? This is something that we have talked about with other members of the board. It's something that we've done an episode of this podcast about. Um, This is not an easy thing to solve because every department in the country is hurting for officers. But at the same time, you know, like we knew this was coming because there was all these retirements that were coming up. And I mean, the academy classes, they're just tiny. There's right. like 12 or 13 people graduating from these academy classes. Right. And I think the, you know, like you said, this is not a problem just faced by San Francisco alone. It's happening nationwide. The profession of policing is not as popular as it once was for probably very good reasons. A change needs to happen within policing. And I think it is really in San Francisco. We've done a lot of reforms, more so than I think any other police department in our country. But we really have to look at, you know, how we can retain officers and recruit them so that we are providing the basics here in San Francisco. And yesterday at our government audit and oversight committee, I'm the vice chair of that. We heard the new POA contract. So that contract will take us up to the highest paid police department in the Bay Area, which I think is important because we think, you know, money motivates And there's, you know, retention bonuses along the way. There's recruitment bonuses. And they've come to a package deal where the POA basically thinks this is a good contract that will start to remedy a lot of the problems that we're having, which is the fact it's really hard to recruit people into the San Francisco Police Department right now. So the assault that happened in your district a couple of days ago, which was very serious and that person was severely injured... There was, the police did arrest a suspect, I think, quite quickly thereafter. In this case, it seems like law enforcement showed up and did their job. And, like, would a higher staff police department have made a difference in that case? It seems like they were able to respond. Well, that was, you know, that's a call that goes in and it's a priority A call. So they're, you know, they're, they're getting there as quickly as they possibly can. And, you know, they allocate their time and what they're able to do based on the severity of the call, which is determined by, you know, the person's answering the 911 call. Mm. So they were able to get there very quickly. A reminder, the person who was arrested in this case was later released after his lawyer claimed he acted in self-defense and the victim didn't testify. I wanted to know, given that the police made an arrest promptly here, would a better staffed police department have made a difference in this case? Well, then you have the complaint, like, say something has been burglarized and they're waiting there for two hours, you know, and then they're the ones who are going to go complain to one of your reporters that says the police never came, Mm -hmm. you know, so... Yeah, we might be making progress on some of the most dangerous calls, but that's not those aren't the only calls that come in. Those aren't the only crimes that happen. And, you know, you can't just say we're going to have a police force just for the priority A calls. We need it for everything. That being said, we have determined we don't want to ask our police department to do everything, right? They shouldn't have to play social worker. They shouldn't have to go and deal with the homeless person that's on the street that needs services. There's a lot that our police officers probably don't need to do. But at the same time, I also hear like on some of these mental health calls, 
I've talked to people, you know, in the fire department, EMS six, and, you know, sometimes they actually have to call the police for backup because the person does end up being violent. So, you know, we do have to, you know, really examine what are we asking our police department to do? And, you know, is there something that could be less focused on where another department can come in? I absolutely believe in those conversations, but we also have to keep the people that are responding to those calls safe. And at a lot of times they do want police backup is what I'm told anecdotally. So everyone I speak to about public safety says basically the same thing. People just want to feel safe. But there are fundamental disagreements about how to get there, including among members of the Board of Supervisors and between them and the mayor. I asked Stephanie how those disagreements can be overcome to put together legislation. Well, we are actually getting stuff done. Definitely. You know, we, we just voted on a supplemental for the police department, like I said, for mm-hmm. overtime, nine to two. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think people are realizing that those who are voting, those who care about public safety... We have a system in place that says we rely on police officers to get to the burglary that happened, to get to the beating that's taking place right now, to to investigate a murder, to investigate a rape. We rely on police officers to do that. Give me alternatives. Where are they? You know, you know, we've looked at different methods. We've had social workers, you know, people responding to mental health calls. We all agreed on how to address that differently. So we have been able to come to, you know, a different conclusion and to give other people a chance to handle those type of calls. But at the same time, the very violent things, the things that need investigation require police officers. Stephanie also has a lot to say about how the city handles addiction services. She says she knows way more about this issue than she cares to know. We'll get to why after a break. Before we go, a reminder that we want to hear from you. If you have a solution that you want the city to pursue or someone you think we should talk to, write an email to sfnext at sfchronicle.com. Laura and I have been talking with District 2 Supervisor Catherine Stephanie. San Francisco operates on a district election system rather than picking supervisors who represent the whole city. We've asked all the supervisors how they handle conflicting needs between their district and the city. You were elected by your district, and you have your constituents to answer to, but you also make legislation and have a kind of responsibility to the entire city. How do you balance those two needs? Well, I think my constituents care about things that the entire city cares about. So it's not all that hard to separate, for me, you know, what District 2 needs and what the city needs. Again, I go back to public safety. I go back to the cleanliness of streets. I go back to revitalizing downtown and, you know, making it easier for small businesses to thrive. I mean, really what my district wants is what citywide we need. Where I think the district on district fights sometimes cause issues is when people say, well, if it's in my district, it should be in your district. Yeah. Or when constituents say like, yes, we need this thing, housing, homeless shelters, safe consumption sites but not here. Right. Right. And sometimes it makes sense to not put something in a certain location. I'll start with what, you you know, safe consumption sites. Do I think that a safe consumption site should be in district two? No, not right now. You know, the, and I know Myrna said the same thing, Supervisor Melgar. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have a lot of experience with addiction. 
I've been to over a thousand, maybe even more AA meetings. My brother is a heroin addict. I share that openly with his permission. I have addiction in my family. I know more about people who suffer from opioid disorders and alcoholism than I care to know. Again, and it will add Al-Anon to that list as well. You know, I, I know a lot about addiction. And when I look at safe consumption sites, I'm looking at it through lived experience. And I also know the behaviors of a lot of those that are addicted to opioids. I have friends in recovery, and I was just actually talking to some people in recovery yesterday on a Zoom because we're doing an upcoming hearing on the needs of formerly incarcerated and people who are suffering from addiction and the housing needs of them. And, and we were talking about this, the behavior of addicts, especially when we're talking about the fentanyl and being dope sick and how many times you need a hit per day. Safe consumption sites are good to make sure that we are keeping you know people alive. Definitely, we want to do that. But to have them just sprinkled all over and to think that someone's going to get their drug that they need to use right away so they aren't in that horrible dope sick phase, to think that they're going to like hop a 49 bus to the 45 to get out to the beautiful Chrissy Field to do their hit. And so in front of the, it's just, it's nonsensical to me. And that they're going to do this multiple times a day. Yeah, yeah. Especially when sometimes with the heroin or the fentanyl that's on the street, some people need eight times yeah, eight hits a day. And so it's just nonsensical. In principle, do you think the city should pursue a safe consumption site model? It just depends. I have to see it. In principle, yes, I think that we should do everything we can to keep people alive. We don't want them just ODing on our streets. It makes me so sick to walk through the Tenderloin or even the Civic Center, where I work right here, to watch people folded over. It's like that's a human being that is suffering so badly. And I bet they want to stop. Who wants to live like that? And I want to be able to intervene in a way that helps them not be beholden to that addiction. And I want to make sure that we're investing in that as well. So if we're investing in safe consumption sites, we better damn well be investing in a stabilization center for people who want to get off drugs or sober housing. Given your expertise as a prosecutor, given your experiences being close to people who are struggling with addiction, and given what you said about the drug markets that are prevalent in San Francisco, what do we do about the supply? I mean, like, this is not coming from just, like, small fry people. The supply is coming in in massive, you know, loads from other countries, and it is being taken here by large operations. Yeah. I don't think it's just individuals who are yeah. selling, right? Or a white woman in San Jose. Or a, yes, certain <laughs> uh, police officers association person. What they're referring to is that the executive director of the San Jose Police Officers Association was charged with attempting to import drugs for distribution. Investigators said she ordered narcotics on her personal and office computers and had agreed to distribute them. Horrible. It's a horrible story. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I wish I knew is that one of those things about, you know, I think what I think needs to happen is that our district attorney and our chief of police and, you know, I, I think this is happening, you know, should talk to, you know, the U.S. attorney's office and the DA. Say, there should be some type of exactly there should be some type of coordination some type of, I don't know, get in a war room and like figure out how do we do this, you know, prioritize this. And I don't know why it's not happening. I think it should be happening. I agree with you. Somehow we have to 
reduce the supply, but we also have to make it very hard for people to sell it on the streets. I mean, I think, I think it's both. I mean, the supply, it seems like, has always been there. If the demand's there, the supply has been there. I did want to talk about healthcare because you're the daughter of a nurse yes. and a union activist. And healthcare workers have been through, I think it's fair to say, absolute hell in the last three years. Mm-hmm. And it still takes forever to hire a nurse into SF General. Things are not good whether you're working for the city or not working for the city in healthcare. It's rough. What can the city do to support healthcare workers in this time? We need to do so much more for our healthcare workers. And I've been, you know, when Supervisor Safai did a lot of, you know, work around trying to get nurses hired more quickly, you know, I was right there with him. It's such a quagmire, it seems. It doesn't, I don't understand why we can't do it, you know, why we can't act more quickly. I recently called a hearing on jail health services. I have a friend who's a nurse, or actually, I don't even know if she's working there anymore, but they were having mandatory shifts because, they didn't have enough nurses and they, you know, have to work sometimes 16 hours a day or then if they have weekend plans, they'd be forced to work a weekend. So again, I think we have to figure out how we're going to hire more people, how we recruit more people. This shortage of, you know, nurses, at least in jail health, as I looked into that, is something we have to put more effort into. Is there something that City Hall can offer that, you know, that the Board of Supervisors can do legislatively to improve conditions beyond, you know, allocate money, allocate resources? Yeah, I think it's, you know, working with, you know, the Department of Public Health, you know, they have their ways of doing things and really trying to find out, you know, where can they bend? You know, obviously there's regulations in place. You want to make sure that you're hiring people that have, you know, a current license, you know, they don't have any things in their past that's going to hurt any patient, things like that. But that being said, there must be a quicker way that we can hire them. And I think that that needs to be looked into. And we have to have, like, again, a very concerted effort to doing so. We end soup with the soups with a lightning round. And we make sure to ask everyone this question. The SF Next Project conducted an opinion survey last year, and we asked residents how they think the Board of Supervisors is doing. About 12% said that they think the board is doing a good or excellent job. What is your reaction to that? I can't believe it's not lower. <laughs> Ouch. <No>. Say more, <laughs> no, I, no, I Given what I hear, you know, the complaints that I hear all the time, you know, my reaction is sad, you know, because I know that, you know, we really do work hard. We really do care. And when you see, you know, what you see out on the streets, that's not evident to people and people don't really understand what do they do. And, you know, I work with a lot of incredible people. And so it's sad for me to see that, all joking aside, we need to do better. And I think, you know, that we're not the only ones. You know, there's the executive branch. There's a lot that goes into, you know, what's happening in San Francisco. But I think, too, that the board can get that rating up if we work harder together and not so much against one another and try to change our language in terms of when we disagree with each other you know, to make sure that we're respecting other people's views and not like othering people and saying they're this and they're that. Hmm. I think that sometimes creates this sense of conflict that's not necessary. And I think if people saw us working together more or felt like we were working together more, that might go up. At yeah. least I would hope so. Hence my earlier question about collaboration. I guess maybe the question really should be, how do you make it clearer to the public that you are collaborating? Yeah, I, I, I don't know how you make it clear other than, you know, 
talking to people and, ha- you know, and, and having evidence of that in the board meetings and, you know, when people interview you and is how you carry yourself, right? All right. What keeps you up at night? Ooh, I don't think we have enough time for that. <laughs> Public safety, you know, and what, you know, I was saying to my staff, it's like ET. Did you, this one of my, you probably don't know that. Yeah, maybe. We do know, you do know that. Yes. Yeah. So good, good. No, it's just like when uh, ET feels feelings, Elliot feels feelings. I feel like that for my constituents. I feel what they feel. And there's this level of stress that does keep me up at night. And this feeling that we don't have enough police officers to do the basics that keeps me up at night. And then gun violence, it just kills me. It, it's just, it's the leading cause of death now for children in our country. I just, I just worry about the rogue Supreme Court we have. And, you know, all I, I do have hope though, because I know so many people in the gun violence prevention movement that refuse to give up and especially the next generation, but it does keep me up at night. What's an idea or a proposal from someone you usually disagree with that you actually thought was a good idea? Okay. <laughs> oh, goodness. You're going to make me say it. Um, I, Dean Preston, I agreed with him when we changed the elections to even years. Uh, so You're the second person to say that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I did, well that, people were surprised, too. But, you know, it saves money. I'm all about saving the taxpayer money. And it made sense to me because it does get more people out to vote. There was this feeling like this fear from the moderates that more progressives are going to come out to vote and it's going to, you know. So we actually looked at all the votes and we determined that wasn't true. So I, you know, I didn't think that that was a reason not to vote for it because I didn't believe it to be true. And it just made sense to me. Also, if it were true, would you still have supported it? Like, if I more don't know. Kind of- you know, I, it would have been a li- probably harder for me. But at the same time, I mean, you want more people to participate in democracy. You want to save the city money, especially now. Or if it, I, I probably still would have voted for it, yes, because, you know, the value of people participating and voting, you know, I hold much higher than just my own, you know, self-survival or, you know, so. All right. Last question. If you had a magic wand and unrestricted executive power in San Francisco, what would you make happen? I would hire 500 police officers and create 2,000 shelter beds. All right. The end. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Supervisor. Thank you. It's been nice getting to know you over soup. Do you know the Chamber of Commerce used to do this? Did anyone tell you? No. (gasps) This is how. We're not as creative as we thought we were. No, I'm like. When they first said it, I go, is this the Chamber of Commerce is doing their soup, you know, with the soup Wait, again? what? Oh. Let me tell you. They might send us a cease and desist. I know. <laughs> we had no idea this series was a copycat. Apologies to the Chamber of Commerce for accidentally stealing their idea. We're going to finish up the series, though. Next week, we're heading to a very different part of town. We'll hear from Supervisor Hillary Ronan, who represents the Mission District and nearby neighborhoods. I'm Laura Wenis. And I'm Cynthia Lopez. Coming up on SF Next Fixing Our City, Supervisor Hillary Ronan has been working to fix problems in the Mission District for many years. But she sees so many of them as symptoms of failures in national systems. See you next week. Cynthia Lopez produces and reports for Fixing Our City. Gary Baca is our sound engineer. King Kaufman is the executive producer. Jonathan Krim is the SF Next project editor. Fixing Our City is part of the San Francisco Chronicle's SF Next Project, 
exploring how the city will shape its future and tackle its biggest problems. Read stories by our reporters, check out interactive data breakdowns, and find our podcast archive at sfchronicle.com sfnext. If you have a solution you'd like us to cover or you know about a city that's doing something right, get in touch. Shoot an email to sfnext at sfchronicle.com or find us on Twitter at sfnext.